0: Hello and welcome to the Powder Blue Podcast. You may be listening to us as our podcast. You may be listening to us on 97.3 ESPN. Either way, we are very, very happy to have you listening to us. And uh, we had a great first show last week and we're back for some more. And as we get back together, I will say we we are missing the uh, one Jeff Mosher. uh, Right, Hunter? Uh, You know, Jeff, 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 it seems that... Jeff had such an exhausting uh, you know podcast last week, and he put so much into the podcast that he needed a week off. How about that,
1: Hunter? Well, I think it's funny because I don't know if he would have taken off if we didn't establish in the beginning of last week's episode <laughs> well, it's great to have three people just in <laughs> case you take off and he, he sparked something in his brain oh, oh I could take off? Yeah,
0: so so that one uh, that one we did not anticipate but uh, and we didn't anticipate either uh, being on the air at 97.3 ESPN we're very grateful to, to Mike Gill to, to air the show for us on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock and during the Philly season, uh, we'll get to we'll get to have that time slot a lot this summer. You know, of course, uh, there are other things that are out there that, that may break up that schedule a little bit. But, you know, a lot of you listen to Tony Bruno over the football season, talking some football. And uh, we're happy to, to help fill fill up the, that time slot in this summertime when it's. Warm and and
1: baseball's in the air. How about that, Hunter? Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. I was watching because the first game wasn't on TV. You could only listen on the radio. This game, the second one, was on TV. I was thinking, it's so nice. It's so nice to actually just see them swing the sticks. It doesn't have to be real meaningful games. It's, It's just baseball. It's beautiful. And I had to call you out on Twitter, Mr. Hunter, there, because you, you
0: you tweeted on Saturday, "Hey, we have Flyers and Sixers both playing today." And I had to say, "Hey, what about the Phillies?" So, so hopefully you will not make that mistake ever again, because you know I I love this time of year. Actually, one of the things I like the most is some days you can see two games at once. So you got you to gotta check out the local bars so that you can have one on one screen and one on the other at the same time. And and every once in a while you get a trifecta where all three of them are on, but. Uh, I don't think that happens this year, but but uh, but definitely a great time of year and hope is in the air. So uh, let's let's take a look first at how the weekend went since you brought that up. So the Phillies played two as of the time we are recording this. You might be hearing us Monday or Tuesday. Uh didn't get we won't get to talk about those games because they have not happened yet. But uh, but a good opening weekend for the Phillies. They they tied the Tigers in Lakeland with a score of eight. Uh, the bats came alive in that one. Uh, but let's talk about one thing there that everybody was looking at because I, I know you weren't uh, concerned with how J.D. Hammer pitched uh, in the ninth inning of that game. Uh, but Nick Pavetta got the start for the Phillies. Gives up five hits, three earned runs. He strikes out one. He doesn't walk anybody. Uh,
1: but wasn't the, the the great start that you'd wanted to see from Nick Pavetta? It definitely wasn't, and I'm not going to crucify the man and say he's going to have a horrendous season just based off of this first spring training attempt, but it's just the same conversation that we have, I feel like, every time with this kid where we know he has good pitches, and now the conversation is adding that change up in, so we will see how that ends up developing to his repertoire it's just frustrating because every season, it seems over the last three years, it's we're going to go with the Pavetas, the Velasquez's, and I just can't stand watching it, to be honest with you. Well, you know, you talk about that. He's,
0: he's working on that one extra pitch. Now, for a lot of spring training pitchers, this, isn't that what this is
1: about, that you're, you're just kind of working on that one pitch? It is. That's why I'm not going to really dive too heavy into him. But knowing what he has provided for this team over the last two years, it's hard not to, in the back of the mind, think, oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> well, you know, it is, it is possible that a
0: pitcher gets on the mound and just decides, oh, I'm working on my curveball today, so I just throw nothing but curveballs. And, you know, you're not necessarily trying to win like you would on a regular game. But, you know, there's a lot of players at camp that did – that are trying for jobs and you know if we look through the lineup on Saturday uh Davey Gruyon got his first chance to do some catching uh with the with the big club in the spring and um he didn't get any hits but but uh he did get to to, to call a game and and you got to see a little bit about that and then uh, the the backup uh infielder roles are kind of up in the air and and we we saw I, you know I'm going to mix up the Forsyth brothers right you know I'm always afraid <laughs> I'm going to say the wrong one like when the Phillies said the uh, way anyway, they which which uh all right I forget which row mine they had. they had uh not no not Kevin Kevin was the father but anyway Logan Forsyth. I will to make sure I say the right thing I don't want to say Craig Forsyth, that you know the, the the hockey writer for you know for uh, uh Patterson Avenue Uh but uh Logan Forsythe got to play uh Phil Goslin got to play and and but the the team cobbled together eight runs on Saturday not a whole lot going on to talk about in that game other than Nick Pavetta. Uh they had a they they went through a whole nine pitchers on <laughs> that's the thing about these spring games sometimes. Sometimes if you watch them, there's there's so many uh there's so many pitching changes. It's it's it could be a bit much, but nine pitchers on Saturday. Uh, but how about Sunday? So Sunday, they're at home, they're at Spectrum Field. Nola takes them out and he kind
1: of looks like he's in midseason form. Yeah, he looked good. I mean, he looks solid. I love Aaron Nola. I love what he brings to the table. But my biggest concern with him, well, I know last year he had a a little bit of a tough stretch a couple of times throughout the season. But I I think he's, me me and my buddies have this conversation. Is he a real ace, you know? And that's something that a lot of people talk about. His stuff just isn't overpowering, and that's just a little concern that I have. Like He throws in that 94 range. When you look at a number one true ace, you look at that 98 in the, in the high 90s, and that's the one thing that just concerns me about Aaron Nola. But he did look good. I'm not trying to sit here and knock Aaron Nola. I think he's going to be a, a great player for this organization for years to come. But do you disagree with, with how I feel about maybe his velocity? Well, you know, I I think there's a difference between calling somebody an ace and calling
0: somebody a number one pitcher. I agree with that. I, 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 I think he's clearly a number one starter in that if you go around the league, how many pitchers are better than Aaron Nola? You know, maybe you can name a few,
1: not not many. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. But no, he, he looked good, and I can't wait to see what he brings to the table because when he's on his game, it is really fun to watch. When he has one of those performances where he's going seven, eight deep and no one can touch any of his pitches, it's just remarkable. A couple of things we got to see on Sunday. I, again,
0: more of the, the people competing for those bench jobs. I mean, that seems like uh, that that's one of the big competitions. So we got to see Josh Harrison, got to see – uh, Newell Walker, two of them will be uh, will definitely have an opportunity to to, to win jobs here. Uh, but we also got to see Gene Segura at third base. The Phillies did not have Scott Kingery in the game, and yet they still put Gene Segura at third base. So are, is Joe
1: Girardi showing his hand a little bit as to what he wants to do with his infield? Yeah, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. For I think this is the time. We talk about how the pitchers are working on some pitches. Isn't this a reasonable time to maybe throw him out there and see what he can do? I like the fact that... He looks slimmer. He had the conversation to the media about how he's no longer drinking whiskey. I believe that's what he went with, right? The whiskey is his drink of choice. So I think the <laughs> mindset with him, to, for him, and you can physically see it, he had an offseason where maybe he was a little bit more focused. And maybe knowing Joe Girardi's a tougher coach than Gabe Kapler, he had to have his head on straight. So I'm excited to see what he has this season. He's always good for two, three hits a night, which is awesome. But he does have that that – Stretch sometimes where maybe he's not running out to first base and things like that. I don't know what to expect at third base though. Like, do you feel confident that he'd be able to be effective at third? Well, a couple things to consider here. So, so one is Scott Kingery. So, if
0: you think about what Scott Kingery's long-term deal is, well, he's probably going to be the Phillies' second baseman. Uh, and then you know that Didi Gregorius signs a one-year deal. He's kind of the stopgap infielder until Alec Bohm comes up and joins this Phillies lineup. So so really, then, if you're looking for the long term, what are you going to do? Are you going to put Gene Segura at second and then make Scott Kingery a shortstop? Well, if your answer to that is no, then you probably put Scott Kingery where he belongs. And maybe Segura stays on the left side of the infield at third base. And then let, let's consider, too, with all the shifting that people do, the third baseman
1: often takes a shortstop spot. Yeah, that's very true. If if you were going to ask me earlier in the offseason, ideally what I would like, I like Adam Hazley, and I think he's great defensively. But I, I didn't mind Scott Kingery in center, and if you were to able to get a Bryant, or even really hoping to get someone like a Nolan Arenado to put it third, and then maybe have Scott Kingery at center, and then Adam Hazley could be your fourth outfielder, and Gene Segura would play second base and DD at shortstop, that would be ideal, but I'm okay with scotty going to where he should be which is second base and let's not forget roman quinn two nice plays in center field today and and he showed he
0: can hit a little bit too that's that's one thing about roman quinn Uh, and speaking of roman quinn he wore his number 24 jersey today as he always does as he went one for three and yet two other phillies came out wearing number 24 so it's kind of fun in the spring you know as we see different players coming in and out and and what that was one interesting thing i noticed usually the minor league camp guys come over and play Usually they throw them a number in the high 90s, and they and they they suit up, but they really can't right now. There's
1: there's no numbers for them to go on, yeah. The, put the on so, 71 jerseys, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, so for the so for this 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 game, you know, and, and probably in the future, you're going to see multiple people wearing uh, number 24. And speaking of number 24, just reminds me of a day way back in the day before Matt Stairs was a Philly. He was with the Toronto Blue Jays wearing number 24, started one of those on-deck games against the Phillies, you know, big old Matt Stairs, starts the game, and then later on in the game, some little tiny guy comes out wearing number 24. So, got to laugh, and it reminded me of that today. Uh, but the big, big, big story today on Sunday at the Phillies' home opener at Spectrum Field was a different-looking fanatic. So, yes, the Philadelphia Phillies have tweaked their beloved mascot the Philly Fanatic and uh, you know Chuck, if you if you haven't really got to see some of these pictures i, I do encourage you to check out 973espn.com uh, i have a post up there uh, if you if you clicked on one of the links uh, to listen to this podcast from our website i'm going to embed the article right there with this podcast but a um, lot lots to look at here with the, with the the new look of the fanatic and 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 let's run through some of these things that that might be uh, knew about this fanatic. All right, Hunter Brody. So I, I, I broke it down and said, "Here are the differences I see on the fanatic. Different shape behind the eyes, and maybe the eyes themselves a little bit. Different sneakers, different stirrups. The the hands are a little bit different than than usual, right? So and you know, you know now we see that the fanatic has a yeah uh, um, you know, some, some more defined fingers on his hands. All right." Uh, So we also see a redefined snout just a little bit. He's got some new hair and he's got a new tail. All right. So that's that's six things I noticed right there. Eyes, sneakers and legs, hands, snout, hair, tail. All right. So now the reason behind a lot of this is, of course, a lawsuit going on between the Phillies and Harrison. I make sure I get these this, (laughs) this name right. I bet for all the time I've read it. Harrison. Erickson. All right. So this is the this is the mascot maker. This is the company that made Miss Piggy. All right. So this is a big name maker of, of puppets and Muppets and uh, and mascots. Uh, but they are what they are doing. And, and here's the story behind this this lawsuit. So so there is a statute that says as of January 1st, 1978. And this is Section 203 of the Copyright Act. And according to this this law, this says that assuming certain requirements are met, a creator can terminate the right to any agreement for any work created after that date. So the Fanatic debuted on April 25th, 1978. So assuming that the Fanatic was created after between January. So that's the first thing I see. You have to assume the Fanatic was created between January 1st and April 25th, that particular year. And and the way the rule is, 35 years after the original agreement, then you can terminate those rights. Now, here's where it gets really, really tricky. All right? So, 1984, the Phillies gave a lump sum payment to HE to buy the rights, quote, forever. And now they are looking to invoke that 35-year rule now. So... This is perhaps their answer. They've changed the Fanatic perhaps just enough that this will be a moot point. So let's let's. I have lots of questions to, to, to pose to you, Hunter. But the first question is,
1: what do you think of the new Fanatic? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think it's that bad. I, I saw some people that were a little upset about it. And my thing was, I was expecting a Gritty. So the fact that it doesn't look like Gritty and it still has similar features to the Fanatic – it doesn't bother me. Yes, the tail is a little different and things like that, but overall, ninety percent of it still looks like the Philly fanatic. So I'm I'm not gonna complain about it. If they had to do it legally and this is what they came up with because they had to change certain things, it could be a lot worse. Let's just go with that. It could be way worse. Okay, so, so you remember the list of things that I said that, that they that they changed?
0: Yes. Here, here's something that I want to bring into the conversation here. All right. So, so first and foremost, I agree with you, Hunter Brody. That's not that big a deal. And what what really makes the fanatic is the personality. And essentially the Phillies say that in their, in their lawsuit, right? Uh, Dave Raymond, Tom Burgoyne, right? They're the ones who made the fanatic be the fanatic, right? So that's Phillies owned, right? Would you agree with that? That yes. the character is owned by the Phillies. Like, I don't think there's much denying that because Dave Raymond, a Phillies employee, Tom Burgoyne, a Phillies employee. All right, so so there's that there. Now, does does this does this uh, mascot company own the rights to the the jersey and hat that are on the fanatic? They do not. Right. Do they own the name Philly, as in the Philly <laughs> fanatic? I hope not. Okay. So <laughs> so breaking all this down, what's left? You have a green creature with some of those features and the Phillies changed them, right? So uh, in my article today on 97.3 ESPN, again, uh, aforementioned, and, and I encourage you to take a look at it, They, this same company has been pumping out mascots over the years that look just like the Fanatic, all right? So I want to cue you into this mascot called Slyly that, that is the mascot for the Hiroshima Carp, Okay. He looks just like the fanatic. The only things that are different are different shape behind the eyes, different sneakers and different stirrups, different hands, redefined snout, new hair, new tail. All right, so those six things that I note are different are basically the only differences on the other mascots that this company is selling. So maybe we can sue them. So, yes, that's, that's <laughs> the right question. So So if you're the Phillies and they try to say, well, that's still our creation. Well, then you can say, well, wait a minute. Did you violate our agreement
1: by selling Slyly to the Hiroshima Carp? How about that? Absolutely. Well, listen, I, I think as long – and you nailed it with the personality thing. As long as you're getting the same personality out of this, you know, I mean, that's just what it's all about. It's about the goofy fanatic on the top of the dugout doing all kinds of things with his stomach and being entertaining, driving around the, the thing around the uh, – The field. So as long as we're getting that, we're good to go.
0: Do you think people would have really noticed if they hadn't said anything like, you know, Jim Salisbury last week talking about the the new fanatic? What do you what do you think about? uh, Do you think that the Phillies actually, if they had not sort of teased out, hey, a new fanatic is coming,
1: that that would be an issue at all? Well, imagine if they didn't say anything. And then here we go. We're watching a Phillies game and then here's the fanatic with a blue tail and nobody said any reason on why, <laughs> why that would happen. I think that that would be worse, don't you think? Or funny. I mean, it depends on how they how they spin it, but if they came up with some wild story on why it became blue and they posted it as a, you know, as a Phillies post on Twitter or something, maybe they could do that. <laughs> well, the well, the, the funny
0: thing is, you know, this, this quote, new fanatic hasn't been all that secret, uh, you know, um, so far, uh, in spring training, you know, this fanatic has been around, uh, people have, have, been at the ballpark and, and seen this new fanatic, uh, you know, taping commercials and stuff like that. And, and nobody really seemed to say anything <laughs> that, 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 that it was like a difference, right now. Granted, I know some of these commercials he's dressed up in all the kinds of things that he dresses up in, but. But nobody really seemed to even take note that it was different.
1: Do you think it's a good thing though? Like for example, when Gree came out, it rocked the world. Now I don't expect this to do that, but because it's new, because there's new features, maybe it's talked about more, and they and they want that to happen.
0: Yeah. So so the, I I I think that the the Phillies here, I think they're they're trying to make a statement to to uh, Harrison Erickson, you know, the people that that uh, were, were seeking to claim the the payment and the interesting thing is the phillies sued them first right they they didn't sue the phillies uh, it seemed like they seemed to make a threat to like pay up and now here's the thing i don't think anybody knows how much money they wanted uh, you know for these rights right now no. but um, but but that's a real question you know is is this is is them going for money do, do they have any any can they lay any claim to that with these changes are these changes do you think enough that somebody who's perhaps a third party reading a lawsuit or deciding on a lawsuit would
1: think that this makes the fanatic quote unquote different. I, I think they, it would have to, right? I, you would assume that they made these changes based off of knowing what would get them out of this lawsuit. Don't you think? I mean, that's all I think they would. I, I
0: think that, I think that's the goal. I mean, and, and, and I really think it's about these other mascots. I mean, and you know what, there's a lot of different, you know, they, they've they made a, a ton of mascots over the years. Uh, you know, if we, if we had to look at actually, I, I really should look and see if there's a uh, uh, rundown somewhere of all the mascots that Harrison Erickson has created over the years. But um, but, you know, when you see a mascot, whether or not there there is a um, <laughs> if it was made by them. Right. I mean, obviously the fanatic. All right. So here, here's a list of mascots. How about UP from the Montreal Expos and the Montreal Canadiens? Are you familiar with that?
1: Um, it doesn't ring a, I'm, I'm kind of seeing the Canadians cause I'm, I'm the hockey guy that normally yeah. stands out to me, but, um, I don't know <laughs> if I'm right yeah. I, I mean, I have the computer yeah, you, right in UP. front of me so I can use uh, I can u- utilize that.
0: UP has a similar body style to the, a little bit, right? You know, the, the, the same torso, like that seems to be their signature. Oh yeah, here we go. mascots, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, he was, uh, he was the Expos mascot and he hopped on over to the, to the Canadians once, once that happened. Um, they made Big Shot back in the day. Remember Big Shot? <laughs> Big
1: Shot! Oh my lord!
0: Now that was made in 1979, so I guess they can come calling for that in a year, right? If they're, gonna, I don't Big- know if, it, if anybody actually cares about Big Shot. Big Shot! Um, oh, <laughs> God! They made a lot of mascot and by the way, most of these failed horribly. Let's see here: Dandy for the New York Yankees, Ribby and Rhubarb for the White Sox. Duncan the dragon for the New Jersey Nets I don't remember that one that 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 was over by 91. Casey Wolf for the Kansas City Chiefs I I don't reckon have you seen Casey Wolf I'm surprised in the Super Bowl I didn't see any of that oh yeah I do uh, see
1: him right here and, and I I didn't know his name but now that we mention it as I type it in I I definitely saw him throughout
0: yeah so he so he is one of theirs uh again the same kind of torso so I guess that's their signature thing uh let's see here who else do they yeah. got a uh, booster for the Houston uh, Rockets. They, they that that went away in '93. Hugo for the Charlotte Hornets. Stuff the Magic Dragon for the Orlando Magic. Jackson Deville for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Pirate Pete. Oh, this is for the Delaware River Bridge Authority. <laughs> uh, Slyly, the one I mentioned already. G. Wiz for the Washington Wizards. And. Uh, and Fred, I guess that's one of the alternate fanatics or something. But anyway, you know, they, they these are—they've made so many mascots. They all have this. They all have the same torso. The Phillies might have even changed that up a little bit. A couple people have mentioned that he's a little bit thinner uh, than, than he used to be. So, uh, so, so, what is left of their signature movement is—is—is is, is the question here? Now, let me ask you this. So, uh, let's say the Phillies win this lawsuit, and they have the option to go back to the way it was. Do you do you think they would go back
1: to the way it was? At this point, uh, yeah, maybe, Uh, maybe they, they might, but I don't know. Since they already changed it, what would that look like? How would that feel publicly? Uh, well, I mean,
0: uh, is there enough backlash that you could say, well, the people have spoken? You, you remember New Coke? I <laughs> know oh, you don't. You weren't
1: born yet, were you? Well, well, <laughs> uh, well, no, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, when they came out with the New Coke. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I, it's it. too, it's so raw right now, I would say, the got changed. so they would be able to get away with it. But in five, six years down the road, they're like, oh, we're going back. I don't know. Yeah, but honestly, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the difference is that much.
0: Like, like um, you know, my daughter's three, right? So, uh, when she sees the fanatic,
1: or she, as she calls it, phantonic, you know, like is she going to even know the difference? Right. No, I agree with you completely. It's not that much of a problem to me, but people are outraged. There are people outraged. <laughs> people do not like
0: change. I, th- I think that's the. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. So, like you know, if he had uh Put put a feather in his cap. That might have been enough to to to, to cause people to, to cause people to freak out. So so this bear is watching as as we move along, looking ahead. And uh, you know what about the Galapagos gang? I think, should they be looking at their uh, their copyrights for that now? There's going to be copyrights for everything these <laughs> days. Yeah. So love and fanatic, different. Still green. Still drives his four by four. Probably will still dump your popcorn if he catches you eating it.
1: Yeah, he'll probably be in the booth with McCarthy and Cruck, and, you know, bringing the food around and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to get them going. <laughs> well, time will tell. Well, I think it's time for our
0: first break, Hunter. And if you're listening to the podcast, hang on. We'll be right back. This is Frank Close, Hunter Brody, Jeff Mosher's on vacation. 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN, sportstalkphilly.com. And we are back with the Powder Blue podcast Frank Close, Hunter Brody, Jeff Mosher's on vacation for episode two. You know, I hope hope he worked really, really hard for the first one. Then he gets a vacation already, but no, I, I'm very, very happy for him. He's, he's spent some time with his family. Um, I would tell you where, where he was, you know, uh, Hunter, but... You know, by the time most people listen to this, he'll, he'll be on his way home. So I, I guess I can't have people bother him on vacation, even though he even though he might deserve it a little bit. Right. So but uh, no. Uh, so uh, so the next thing I want to talk about is is something that kind of unfolded this week. And that was the J.D. Real J.T. Real Muto arbitration decision uh, that the Phillies filed their their salary for this year at ten million dollars and J.T. Real Muto was asking for $12.4 million. And this is a pretty interesting situation here, Hunter, because the Phillies are paying JT Real Muto a record amount of money at $10 million. But Real Muto was arguing for more. And ultimately, the decision went to the Phillies because there is absolutely no precedent to any catcher making this amount of money. The previous record was $8.275 million. From Matt Weiders in his arbitration hearing against the Baltimore Orioles. So let me ask you this, Hunter Brody. Is the catching position undervalued or should the catching position perhaps be a little bit less in value because the catcher does not play every day? What are your thoughts on that?
1: That is interesting. When you have someone like JT Real Muto, when, when you have one of the top catchers in the game, I think it's noticeably different than when you don't. And we saw that last year, specifically defensively. You you literally could not run on JT. I would laugh at people trying to do it. Like, do you watch film? Do you see this guy? Like, why do you assume you would be able to run on him? So it's it's just crazy when you do compare it to other players in this league, other positional players and the money that they make, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's it's a little undervalued, but not insanely. How do you feel about it? Well, here's here's my question,
0: I, I don't know that I have a, a total decision on this, but but it's correct. Most catchers do not catch every single day. Most catchers don't start behind the dish at least one day a week, right? Now, granted, Real Muto caught almost more than anybody else. In fact, the only person that caught more than him was Yasmani Grandal who caught four more games last year, and the only reason why he caught four more was that Real Muto got shut down at the end of the year. Remember, at the end of the year, after the Phillies were out of it, they decided to, to, to have him um, – I don't know. if It was mainly like – it wasn't a real injury per se, but you know they decided to let him go take care of something that was, that was nagging him. So up until that point, he was in the game more than anybody else. So um, can you – then project a salary for somebody based on you know one year that's that's playing that much or or here's a here's a question for you Hunter did real muto play too much last season
1: yeah i think he did i think he did and i know you're it's funny you're you're not pro andrew Knapp. you just think that that position the backup catcher To be outraged by the backup catcher is, you know, kind of ridiculous based off of other situations that are way more important in the sport, which I understand that logic completely. But I just think if you had someone who was better than Andrew Knapp, you would be able to rest JT a little bit more throughout the season so he didn't have to play so many innings and play so many games, and that would ultimately benefit JT Real Muto a little bit more.
0: Yeah, well, let me ask you this. So so it sounds like at the arbitration hearing, and this is one thing that kind of came out, uh, RealMuto's agent was comparing him to the likes of Anthony Rendon going into his last year of, of free agency.
1: Is that a fair comparison? Probably not. I would say that's a little bit of a stretch and probably more than a little bit of a stretch, just a, a straight up stretch.
0: Yeah, so so that's the kind of comparisons that people have. Now, if you're talking about batting average and, and stuff like that, but – you know, I I think that the the really uh, uh, the, the fascinating thing is that yeah, well, R- well Rendon's going to play every single day of the week. Now, when there's a DH in the National League, will that change things? Because you know what, I, you, one thing that I have to say about the designated hitter, I never really liked it. I like National League style baseball, but I've come to the point in my life where I've come to terms with what I think is the reality that it is going to happen. So. Uh, when there is a DH, does that make somebody like JT Real Muto worth
1: more? Yeah, it has to, because on his days off, he can still rake up at the plate. So yeah, I think it will. It'll it'll make these catchers worth more money, and they would have more of a fight when it comes to arbitration. But I don't necessarily think the Phillies were wrong in this situation. So then then, then going forward now, the, the the question that a lot of
0: people had was, is this going to sour real Muto on the Phillies? Is this going to make sure that the, that, uh, you know, will he end up going to free agency now? I mean, the Phillies gave up their best pitching prospect at the time, uh, and, and a very good starting catcher. Yeah. You know, good. Not, obviously not the real Muto level, but, but, you know, by all accounts, Jorge Alfaro is a nice major league catcher. Uh,
1: Kent, is this going to get in the way of them re-signing him? What are your thoughts on that? It shouldn't. If it does, then I, I feel like that's somewhat of like immaturity, just based off of this is just how it is. I mean, this is the business side of it, and and it seems like JT Realmuto does understand that. I think you nailed it when you said that they gave up Sixto Sanchez. You don't give up Sixto Sanchez and then not re-sign this guy that you get, and he's not just this guy. He's the best catcher in baseball, so the way I feel like the Phillies are going to do it, and if they don't do this, I will be very disappointed is so the arbitration, the Phillies won and they won for a reason because I think they are right in this situation. He's still getting paid an absurd amount of money for his position and they won for a reason. If they re-sign this guy for a a decent amount of time and he gets his payday before he hits free agency, then this doesn't even mean anything. And this conversation is kind of just blah. Right. So, so You know the thing about this is what's going
0: to happen going forward. You know, if they make this deal now, the the right now the highest paid catcher in the game would be Yasmani Grandal, who I just mentioned a moment ago, right? And he's getting eight, $18.25 million on year and per you know on average for four years. So what exactly will the Phillies have to give him to make him sign on the dotted line? Now the other comparison that you see here thrown out there sometimes. If you remember Joe Mauer from the Minnesota Twins, who got like twenty-three million a year for for like six or seven years, it was something outrageous.
1: Uh, is that a reasonable comp, or do the Phillies need to need to look at Grandal mainly? I, I think you're going to see something around twenty for five, like twenty AAV for five years, or or something like that. So you're playing with over hundred million, maybe five years, hundred and ten, hundred and twenty in in that range. Do you think that that's pretty reasonable? You know, I'm I'm having a
0: hard time figuring out where this goes because every time we 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 think we know what somebody is quote unquote worth, there's somebody that 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 blows the market away. And you know, I never ever thought Garrett Cole would earn what he earned this year. You know, <laughs> even even though he was really 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 good. So, um, so so there is a here's the thing too. There's some risk from Real Muto here because you know catchers are 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 you know usually one injury away from uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, really ending their career. I mean, that's what it comes down to now. Um, you know, remember Darren Dalton, uh, you know, I, one of the, one, one of the things I will never forget and you, you probably weren't born yet, but, <laughs> um, but, but, but Darren Dalton, you know, he signs this new contract after the, 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 uh, uh, right before uh, 1993 season. And, you know, he ends up, uh, he ends up being one of the better paid catchers, but, but the middle of 1995, yeah, you see him slide into second base, funky, and he ends up walking off the mound, and and I mean off of second base, and that's the last time he ever caught. Uh, you know, the Phillies tried him in the outfield, and and then he goes to the the Florida Marlins and plays on first base, but but uh, but Darren Dalton's contract that he signed in 1993, they ended up, you know, uh, eating most of that contract. You know, so it's like if you're a catcher, you're always like one one injury away from never catching again and you know so uh so then the question is how many years do you want to give somebody like jt real muto i think it's a given that no matter what he gets it's going to be more than any catcher on an average annual uh you know basis uh it's got to be at least four years because that's what Grandel got but but then what uh then, then then like uh you know how many years are you actually willing
1: to go for real muto I think you're you're playing in that ballpark of four and five. I mean if Grand gets four and the field is really want to keep this guy and, and keep him happy, I, I think realistically we're, we're playing around that five years 110 mil ish. I think that's the ballpark that they need to go to to get this guy to stay here. So that takes him from 28 to 33. And the, the thing about the injury is I, I do understand the logic based off of the position. But that's just sports, right? I mean, you give anybody a big contract, any of these athletes, not just baseball, but any sport in general, you're giving them this money and they can get injured doing anything. So it's just something you kind of have to do. You you can't let him walk away in free agency after giving up what you gave up. That would just be a, a terrible business decision. So then, what? What like what, what? What do
0: the Phillies have as an option if if this doesn't work out? Are they are they hoping Davey Gruyon ends up being a you know starting catcher here? So you know it, it seems like the Phillies, you know, if you look around, everything is real Muto. They, they the Phillies
1: seem like they're going to go down that route, but 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 then what? What if what if he doesn't? Then what? I don't think there. I never thought that far to be honest with you. With Plan B, because I just assumed that they are smart enough. To get the job done. Now, maybe that's my fault because I've seen Matt Clentak work here for a bunch of years now, and I don't know if I'm sold on him. And I don't know what Andy McPhail does. And I like John Middleton. I do. I think he. I think he cares about winning. I truthfully do think that he is a owner who would be willing to spend when he knows this team is built legitimately. I don't know if he feels that way at this very moment. But that dates back to Met Clentac and Andy McPhail. But like they they just have to get this done. I don't think there is an option B, and there shouldn't be. Do you think that there should be? Like, I don't I don't know if I feel like you're sold on JT Real Muto. So here, here's what I could tell you. So
0: here's a very interesting thing to look at here. So so the guy who broke the trade from JT Real Muto to the Phillies was Craig Mitch. Craig Mish. I don't know if you know that name, but I I think he he's the host of the Sports Grind. I I don't really know that 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 show. That's from uh, uh, it's a show out of New York. uh, Sports Sports Grid, excuse me, uh, from the Sports Grid Sports grind on Sports Grid. Okay, I think that's what it is. Anyway, uh, Craig Mish has done some work on SiriusXM um, uh, over the years. Uh, He he's been a Marlins reporter. Uh, So Mish breaks that 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 trade. Now it's it's Craig Mish who tweets out that no player who has gone to, to arbitration and lost at this stage in his career has ever re-signed with the team that beat them in arbitration. Do you, do you think that maybe, perhaps, and, you know, there's some other uh, – here's another curious thing. Craig Mish tweeted out in 2018 that the Marlins offered JT Realmuto two separate contract extensions, four years, $43 million back in July – and then five years, sixty-one million, with an option for the sixth year, seventy-six million total. Uh, so uh, Real Muto obviously did not uh, um, <laughs> accept the deal, and and Mish says that Real Muto's camp countered with an offer and then pulled it off without ever speaking again. So um, it seems like he's got a source in Craig Mish. Do you think maybe Real
1: Muto is leaking out to Craig Mish? that reminder just to try to get the Phillies to do business. That's very possible. Just like I mentioned with the arbitration part of it, it is part of the business. I think also having sources come out saying things is, is part of it as well. I think we all established back in the, the, Back in the day, last season when we were going for Bryce Harper, that John Heyman would tweet every other day, these people are invested and these people are interested. And I heard Bryce Harper doesn't want to be in Philadelphia. I, I, that's also part of this, to to try and spike your value up. So it, it is very possible that JT Realmuto or his, his agent or people around him are trying to make sure the Phillies offer the most money. But would, maybe the, you mentioned the Marlins offering money, and that obviously seemed on the low side. There's a big difference with where I think ownership is with John Middleton and the where the Phillies are as a roster compared to the Miami Marlins. Maybe he wants to win a little bit too.
0: Absolutely. Well, my my prediction as we go to our next break, I think the Phillies and, and Real Muto will get something done this spring. I think that before they head to Philadelphia, that will happen. We'll be back right after this. Frank Close, Jeff Mosher is not here. Hunter Brody is here. 97.3 ESPN 97.3 ESPN sports close Hunter Brody back with you with the powder blue podcast. We thank you for joining us. No matter how you're listening, please be sure to follow our podcast on anywhere. You can get a podcast because we, we just make ourselves very available, right Hunter. So yes, we do. Uh, give us a, give us a follow. Listen to us on 97.3 ESPN on Tuesdays at six. And so we have one more, we have one more uh, segment left for you today, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Phillies starting rotation. So we got to we got to look at Nick Pavetta already, which we talked about. We got to take a look at Aaron Nola, and let's look at the rest of the candidates here. So um, we're going to see Saturday is going to be when we see Zach Wheeler. I know everybody is going to be uh, talking about that. So Wheeler isn't going to start until Saturday in Dunedin against the Blue Jays. I will be there checking that out personally and checking out the new stadium, by the way, in Dunedin, Florida. So very, very happy about that. There was some uh, talk of uh, the Dunedin um, spring training site possibly moving, and they were able to work it out with Dunedin. And it's nice to have a neighbor. The Phillies have always been good neighbors with the Blue Jays in Dunedin. So Zach Wheeler will get his first look in a Phillies uniform on Saturday. But in between now and then, we're going to see Vince Velasquez make his first start on Monday against the Orioles in Clearwater. Ranger Suarez is going to pitch on Tuesday and it's a split squad day. So he's heading down to Bradenton against the pirates. Jake Arietta starts at home in Clearwater. And then Zach Eflin will make his spring debut on Wednesday. So what do we make about this, this, this starting rotation, um, Uh, I guess we're going to call it a, a competition. So the Phillies are giving Ranger Suarez the opportunity to throw. Now, do you think it's significant that he's going to get a chance to pitch this early in? Is this a sign that he's a real candidate for a starting rotation spot?
1: It's interesting, to be honest with you. Coming in, I think we all kind of wrote it as Nola, Wheeler, Arietta, Eflin, and then Velasquez or Nick Pavetta. I don't know if the conversation really was Ranger Suarez. So maybe this is Joe Girardi spicing it up a bit to push Pavetta and Vince a little bit. So "Listen, it's not just you two. There is somebody else in the mix. Maybe it's a mental game with Joe Girardi, who's really trying to get this, get this competition going to another level." Now ra Suarez okay so I think we this is a guy we need to give some credit
0: to now 2018 when he made his major league debut it included basically three spot starts so if you remember at the end of 2018 where they were trying to get anybody to start it seemed like by July and August as making those trades for for Zrubel Cabrera and, and guys like that and 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 Wilson Ramos you know they were just they were just grabbing starters wherever they could to pitch Now, 2019, he ends up coming up in the bullpen, but his numbers were pretty impressive. He went six and one. All right. With a 3.14 ERA out of the bullpen. So that those are some pretty impressive numbers. Now, I know you say, well, you know, um, wins don't matter so much. But you know what, though? That meant that he entered games at a key time and held the fort even and then let the Phillies come back. So. Uh, so is he somebody that actually has a shot to be in the starting rotation? So, do you, I mean, really, like, what about his, his performance last year? Does that mean that the Phillies should should have him in the bullpen and try to do more of what he did? Or, or is it fair to give him a chance to start in and at least try out for a spot in the starting rotation?
1: I, I think it's fair. I mean, as I stated, I'm not sold on Nick Pavetta. So if Ranger Suarez comes in and he ends up being better than him or better than Vince, then by all means, it can't be worse than Nick Pavetta. So sure, it, it, absolutely, you it can give him a chance. And if it doesn't work out that way, the bullpen is fine because this team needs just as much bullpen help as they do rotation help at the same time. But it is a different mindset for these guys. And
0: very interestingly, last time Ranger Suarez was a starter, seven starts at Lehigh Valley last year two and two with the five, six, eight ERA, right? So that's, that's not really what you'd, you'd, you'd expect of somebody who was a starter, uh, but Lehigh Valley in 2018, he was two and zero with a two, seven, four ERA after going four and three with a two, seven, six ERA at Reading. So, so he has had some success in the minor leagues as a starter. So the question is, will that, will that translate now? And here's the thing. If you're looking at those three, you mentioned you're not sold on Pavetta or you might not be sold on, on, um, Oh, and Velasquez either. So, so if you had to look at all three, are you are you giving anybody an edge out of
1: those three? I can't believe I'm saying this, but if I had to give an edge, it probably would be Pavetta. But I'm, and that's that reaction right there is why I'm so disappointed that we're having this conversation again. It, it, it had to have been Wheeler and another guy. Even if it was taking a shot on someone like Alex Wood, for example. I, I knew at the end of the offseason, like, that would have been a guy where, go take a chance. I mean, I'd be willing to go out and go for a guy like an Alex Wood or something like that. So we don't have to sit here and do this once again. So I would give it to Pavetta, but I am very disappointed that I am giving it to Pavetta once again. I did not expect that from you after you what you said about Pavetta just a few minutes ago. Yeah, so I mean, it just it that I mean that really shows you on what I feel about the other two. You know, now, now let me ask you this though. Speaking of the other two, now Pavetta and, and Velasquez,
0: it's almost the Phillies are expecting that at least one of them will be in the bullpen because you know that these bullpen roles are certainly not defined by any means. So could both of them be in the bullpen? Do you think or, or do you think that? Uh, if you're looking at Pavetta, either he makes a starting
1: rotation or he goes to the minor leagues. What are your thoughts on, on the likes of him at this point? I think Vince Velasquez has a better opportunity in the bullpen because last year he would be good f- until that third time in the lineup where teams would just destroy him. So if he came in and he had to get two outs maybe that's a spot where he will thrive more because the problem with him was you're going four innings. And once the third time comes around, he, he got abused. The numbers were actually disturbing to look at when it came to that third time around the rotation.
0: It's be very interesting here. Now here's another question here to throw in Jake Arrieta. How much can the Phillies rely on Jake Arrieta this season? And and really does that make this that much worse that, you know, you have people competing for the starting rotation, not a lot of competition, Right, just those three names really competing for one spot. But Arietta, can you count on Jake Arietta
1: No, and I'm sorry to be this negative. I I don't feel good about this team. I, I, that's just me being honest. I think that they are fourth or third in the NL East, and that's really just saying that the NL East is going to be super competitive. It's not saying they're this horrendous team. I see them winning 84 games or so, and that's just not going to be enough. I, I don't... I don't like the fact that we're going to rely on these back-end people when it comes down to pitching. Like, Arietta hasn't been good for years. Nick Pavetta hasn't been good for years. Vince Velasquez hasn't been good for years. And, and I'm supposed to rely on these three people to hold down the fort in the rotation, and that's why I feel the way that I do about this team. So, no, I can't rely on, on Jake Arietta. I just can't because I've seen him the last two seasons not be what we need him to be. And, and at this point, he's the third guy. I mean, it's not like we're talking about can. Can he last as the fifth guy or the fourth guy? We're talking third in the rotation, and that's not going to fly if he's going to give us what he has given us the last two years. Now, what about Zach Eflin? So, Zach Eflin has been absolutely brilliant at times,
0: but then he had his period last season where he felt, quote, heavy, in his own words. Do you, do you think Zach Eflin. It, all right, let me ask you this. The, the likes of Zach Eflin, like, he seemed to really be bogged down by. By the coaching staff last year and that, that's just my observation he d- didn't really say it so much but um, maybe that's what was weighing him down and he felt heavy but um, you know, will Brian Price make any of these guys really step
1: up and be something that they've never been if I feel optimistic about any of these guys it is Zach Eflin because last year you're right you mentioned brilliancy I, how many times did he throw a, a complete game and you just don't see that in this in this by league like, anymore. Caught,
0: side note who caught those
1: Oh, Andrew Knapp, was it? <laughs> All right, just saying,
0: continue, continue. <laughs> the guy that, that a lot of people want to replace is the backup catcher. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, I've,
1: I've never heard someone support Andrew Knapp the way that you do, <laughs> so that's remarkable out of you. But uh, no, I, when it comes to Eflin, I, I think you do see some things there that, that are – Definitely solid. And for him to throw these complete games, you mentioned the coaching staff. And when he went away from what he was being told to do by the end of the season, he was back to his game. So that's why I feel like maybe the pitching coach and and adding some new guys around and getting rid of some of Gabe Kapler's guys will do him a solid.
0: Well, I think this will play out the rest of spring training. I'll be heading down this week, so... I, I will get to see Zach Wheeler in, in, in person and hopefully next Sunday when we get together to, to to record the following week's show. And Jeff Mosher is nice and rested. Then we'll have plenty to talk about. And I'll be coming to you from Clearwater. So I look forward to talking to you. I, I got to get there first. I can't wait to get there, by the way. By the way, it's going to be cold next weekend. So just just my luck. It's like 58 degrees today and there's a day next week when the high is going to be 58 in Clearwater. So uh, yeah. But but at any rate, there, there will be baseball. It will be sunny, and I will be very, very happy. So uh, <laughs> for Frank Close, for Jeff Mosher, who is on vacation, and Hunter Brody, this is the Powder Blue Podcast, 97.3 ESPN, com. Catch you next time.